should I believe about salvation? The great golden text of the Bible, John 3.16, tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We quote that verse a lot. But let us look at the last verse of this chapter, John 3. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. That says to us that there are not many roads to God, there is only one. People criticize evangelical fundamental believers for wanting to change the world. We have a good reason for that. Right here. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. What other incentive do you need to be evangelistic or missionary-minded than that incentive right there? He who believes in the Son has life. He that believes not has not life. And the wrath of God abides on him. That's why we want to preach this message by radio and by television and support missionary enterprise around the world. Because what you need to believe about salvation is Jesus is the only way to be saved. He's the only way to God. He is God's answer. Last week we learned that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 1.18 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah 53.6 Isaiah 1.18 Come now and let us reason together. Let's talk about this thing. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're all like black sheep wandering away from the fold. But God in his mercy sent a shepherd to draw us tenderly back and introduce to us not just something to save us for today, but something to save us forever, for eternity. Whoever appears in verses 14, 15, 16 of this text that we have read from John 3 today, added to that is Romans 5, 8 where Paul says, God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners on the street, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get better. He came to us in our sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we can sing with meaning, not just a song that's on the hit chart, but one with meaning, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. The doctrine of salvation can best be stated in an allegory that I read of two caterpillars, one who has become a butterfly and one who wants to. Finally, the butterfly says to the yearning caterpillar, you must want to fly so much that you are willing to give up being a caterpillar. What God is saying to us in John 3 is that you must want eternal life so much that you're willing to give up being a sinner. That you're willing to give up the wrath for the salvation 
that you're willing to give up hell for heaven, that you're willing to give up damnation for salvation. The question is, are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to turn? Are you willing to accept? Now, two major points to my message today. Very simple. Number one, what must I believe about salvation? That you are not too good to be saved. And number two, that you're not too bad to be saved. And that's it in a nutshell. The whole gospel. First, you're not too good to be saved. Do you know that there's a shortage in everyone's account? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 puts it this way. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The middle section of that verse says, it is not of yourselves. I have been privileged to travel a good deal in this world. I have seen them crawling on their knees in Mexico to shrines for miles, bloody knees, people going in front of them trying to put down little uh, towels or cloths to help them, but their knees bleeding, their bodies racked with pain, trying to appease gods by goodness. I was in Rome at the Church of the Holy Stairs. Somehow the stairs from Pilate's Judgment Hall got transferred to Rome, and it's the Church of the Holy Stairs, and people climb up those stairs on their knees day after day, hour by hour, trying to be good. Good enough to reach God. Let me tell you, nobody's good enough to reach God. That's what you must believe about salvation not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. I have met people who would be saved if they could work for their salvation. I have met people who would work around the clock if it would mean their salvation, but they're not willing to humble themselves and cry out for God's mercy. Jesus told a story about that. In Luke, the 18th chapter, on one occasion, you might want to open to it. It's an interesting account. In verse number 9 of Luke 18, the Bible says he spoke this parable to them who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous. This was the very reason for him telling the story. They trusted in themselves. They were righteous. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Now get this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful person? Wonderful but lost. Wonderful but estranged from God. Because you can do all those things and be lost. Then Jesus said, the tax collector, who the Pharisee wouldn't even look at, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then Jesus gives us the conclusion. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be abased. And he who humbles himself 
will be exalted. How do you get to God? By getting on your knees and humbling yourself in the presence of this holy being. You will never get there by patting yourself on the back and saying, what a good person I am. I'm getting better by the day. Now, not only is there a shortage in our account, but I'm happy to tell you there is no shortage in God's ability to save people like this. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, don't say, I don't have sin, because we've already concluded all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name. If you receive him, he gives you the power. There's no shortage in God's account. Joseph Aline, who lived in the 1600s, said, Conversion is no repairing of the old building, but it takes all down and erects a new structure. The sincere Christian is quite a new fabric, from the foundation to the top stone, all new. He must have read what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He that is in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He just changes it all. And he has the ability to do that for anybody. Out of our headquarters in Springfield, Missouri, came a letter this week that I read with interest. It was the story of a young Lebanese, an Arab by the name of Hadji, H-A-D-J-I. He saw in a magazine an ad about our International Correspondence Institute correspondence courses. And something within him said, send for those courses. But he didn't do it immediately, and the magazine disappeared. He looked through 200 magazines trying to find that ad and could not find it. You see, the reason he didn't respond immediately was because there's some danger for a person in his setting to show interest in anything Christian. So by the time he said, I'm going to do it, no matter what the cost, he couldn't find it. One day his mother asked him to go to the meat market to pick up some meat, so he did. The butcher wrapped that meat in some paper and Haji took it home. And when he unwrapped the meat, there in front of him was the ad. You see, there's no shortage with God to perform miracles. He can send a cloud and a voice speak from that cloud, or he can wrap a piece of meat in a certain piece of paper so that you'll fill that out and send it in, which Haji did. And do I need to tell you that he embraced Christianity? He received Christ as a Savior, and today in Lebanon, there is a young man by the name of Haji who is leading other people to Jesus Christ. God set him up. And that's what he's doing with everybody. He put Wanda Phillips on her back so she had to look up, and in looking up, she found the Lord. Unworthy, not deserving, but that's the way we all are. And so God maneuvers, God works in his own mysterious and wonderful way in order that we might not perish but have everlasting life. What must you believe about salvation that you're not too good to be saved? 
Secondly, you must know that you're not too bad to be saved. The Bible's filled with illustration. Let me give you four illustrations from the Scripture and then one out of history. The first one is in John chapter 4. The woman at the well. The woman at Sychar. Got into a conversation with Jesus. That's dangerous. Because he knows everything. And in the process of conversation, he said to her, you've had five husbands. How would you like somebody telling you that, that you'd never met before? And then he said, furthermore, the one you're living with, the sixth, is not your husband. Living out of wedlock. Now, would you call this lady a fitting person to have conversation with one-on-one in the city by the well? But Jesus did because he loves bad people. He really does. He's crazy about them. Told her everything she ever did. And did she turn on him? No, she ran into town on happy feet saying, come and see a man. Oh, boy, that was a statement for her to make. Come see a man. Sure. We've seen a lot of them. No, no, no. Come see a man. They told me everything I've ever done. He's different. You see, he loves bad people. And that woman took a drink that day of living water, and she never thirsted again. The second one in the New Testament is Mary Magdalene, Luke 8, verse 2. That verse simply says, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. How would you like to spend company with a woman like Mary of Magdala with seven demons in her? Jesus loved it. He really cared about her. He saw something in her. He cast those demons out of Mary, and when he rose from the dead, Mary Magdalene was the one who made the pronouncement, He is alive! He's alive! Because he associates with bad people. And what about Zacchaeus? I love the story in Luke 19. Climbed a tree because he was small of stature. He wanted to see Jesus. He was a crooked IRS agent. I almost said ragent. Everybody knew that he was a sneak. That he was padding his pockets. But he wanted to see Jesus, and when Jesus came by that tree, by Jericho, he stopped and looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. He fell out of the tree. Jesus said, I'm going to go to your house today. And the Pharisee standing around said, oh, he's gone to be a guest with one who is a sinner. Pharisees never can understand that. But he went and ate with him. And when the whole thing was over, this little fellow who cheated everybody said, oh, I've got to repay fourfold everybody I've ever taken from. Now that's salvation. Salvation has come to this house, Jesus said. He loves to associate with bad people. What about Luke 7? The sinful woman who wept in his presence, her tears touching his feet, and then she got on her knees and wiped his feet with her hair, kissing his feet and anointing them with fragrant oil. The Pharisees were there again. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. 
They didn't understand how he could be a friend of this woman. How he could be entertaining this act. So Jesus, who was a great storyteller, told them a story of two men who owed another man some money. One of them owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And so in the story, the creditor forgave both of them their debt because they had nothing to pay. And then Jesus said, which of them will love more? And the answer was, I suppose the one who forgave more. He then reverts to the woman kneeling before him. And he says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. He then looked at her and said, your sins be forgiven. And she goes on her way, redeemed. That's the story of the gospel. That's what you must believe about salvation. You are not too bad to be saved. In fact, if you've been really bad, you're going to love more, according to what Jesus said. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, there's four stories right out of the New Testament. Let me give you one out of history. During the Second World War, when our paratroopers would jump out of planes, they would yell, Geronimo! Because that was the name of the great Apache chief who vandalized the southwest part of the United States a little over a hundred years ago. Fierce, cunning warrior by the name of Geronimo. Bold and fearless. Fred Corum is an Assemblies of God attorney in Lowell, Massachusetts, whose father was the station agent for the Frisco Railway near Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Geronimo became a prisoner of the army at Fort Sill and would come down and lay on the platform at his father's station basking in the sun and people would tell tall tales about Geronimo. Fred Corum was five years old when this was taking place. And he said, I remember one day after hearing these stories of this vicious man, seeing him asleep on the platform of my father's train station, and I wanted to look at him real close, and his eyes were shut, and I thought he was asleep, and I went up and put my nose right in front of his face. And suddenly his eyes opened, and he said, I froze, my heart stopped when suddenly a smile broke on the face of Geronimo and it gave me courage to turn and run away. <laughs> Fred's father gave Geronimo a Bible. Geronimo would have two young Indians attending the government school in Oklahoma to read to him the Bible. And then he would come to Fred's father to have it explained. And here is what Geronimo, the great Apache chief, asked. Is it possible that God will forgive me for my wickedness? I wake up groaning and very sad at night when I remember the helpless little children. Often I would steal up to the homes of white settlers and kill the parents. 
In my hatred, I would even take the little ones out of their cradles and toss them in the air. They would enjoy this and would gurgle with glee. But when they came down, Geronimo said I would catch them on my sharp hunting knife and kill them. He said to Mr. Coram, would God forgive this? He then went on to ask, is it possible that when I die, I will have a chance to go to the heaven your Bible describes? I would gladly give what remains of my life if it were possible to bring back the lives of all those whom I have destroyed. And this was the haunting thing in his mind. So Fred Coram took the Bible and read him Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One day Geronimo looked at Mr. Coram and he said, Is that all I have to do? Just believe? And with simplicity of faith, Geronimo learned to pray and trust Christ as his Lord and Savior. Fred Coram, back on the East Coast, remembers as a boy, Geronimo turning 80 years of age. The year was 1909. Approaching death and finally passing this world into the next. And Fred said his last years were not filled with thoughts of his prowess in battle and his achievements in the Indian wars, but with contemplation of the eternal glories that awaited him beyond the grave. You've probably never heard that story about Geronimo, have you? You probably won't find it in your history book. But it's a true story because Jesus Christ specializes in saving bad people. Geronimo included. This book says he will save all who come unto God by him so that when we stand before him, no one will have an excuse. What do I need to believe about salvation? I need to believe that I'm not too good to be saved, and I need to believe that I'm not too bad to be saved. So many people have said, well, I'm good enough. I said, listen, if you were good enough, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Will you remember that? Just remember that. If you were good enough, Calvary wouldn't have been necessary. All that blood and all that anguish and that crown of thorns and those nails and the sword through his side, all of that would have been useless if you were good enough or if we could get good enough. The fact is we can't get good enough to appease a holy God apart from the sacrificial blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through him that we're saved according to the text. If it was through working hard, heaven would be filled with horses and donkeys only. But it doesn't come that way. You must believe that salvation comes by faith and not by works. Now that's logical because it puts us all on the same level. 
whether we're rich or poor, whether we're educated or non-educated, it puts us all on the same level. We all have to come the same way. Nobody has an in on God, you see. That's why I am so appreciative of how he put it together. And remember that you're not too bad to be saved. The old song in the hymn book says, Hallelujah, what a thought. Jesus, full salvation brought. Victory, victory, let the powers of sin assail. Heaven's grace can never fail. Victory, victory. The question of this service is, do you have that victory? Have you passed from death unto life? Are you ready to meet Jesus Christ? Recently here in our country, we have been reading of teenage suicides. Young people shutting the car door, turning the engine on, asphyxiating themselves. One, a four young person packed in the same car, dying at the same time. I say, you don't have to do that. My heart breaks for young people who have not found hope have not found an answer, have not found a future. Oh, hear me. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. There's hope in Him. The thief on the cross discovered it. He knew that Jesus paid it all. All to Him He owed. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. Oh, come to Jesus. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who believes not the Son hath not life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Now you say, I thought he was a God of love. He is. But he's a God of justice as well. He has to follow through on his word. He has to make it the same for everyone. And he did that at Calvary. He is a God of love. He goes to every degree to bring us to realization. A cloud in a living room. A Bible to Geronimo that he couldn't even read. A revelation to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, which caused him to say, Lord, what will you have me to do? He comes in mercy, appealing to every man, woman, boy, and girl to receive life by embracing the doctrine of salvation. There is no other way. And if somebody tells you there is, mark them as a liar. They're a phony! There is no other way. There are not many roads up this mountain. There is one way and one alone. That's why there are so many suicides and so many murders and so much rape and pornography and dissatisfaction in our world. They have not found the way. For when you find the way, it is the truth and it is the life. And you need not err any longer. I cannot stand here and tell you big tales of sin. I was one of those goodniks that had to be saved when I was a boy. But I took Jesus as my Savior, and I remember tears streaming down my cheeks as I confessed my sin. <laughs> my sin. What was my sin? I was five years old. <laughs> I took a pencil once, I think. 
probably sassed my mom once, but something inside of me said, you're a sinner. I knew it. I laid in bed one night on my pillow weeping into the night because I had a vision of hell. I felt like I was going into hell, and I said, Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. And at that early age, I embraced Calvary. I know there are some of you that have been down a long road of sin and rebellion. I don't know about that road personally, but I can tell you this. You need to believe that he saves good people and he saves bad people. And we're all the same. We're either lost or we're saved according to our response to God's gift of eternal life. Would you bow your heads in prayer as we contemplate this great truth from the Bible? And I would ask that no one leave now until we have completed the service and we can respect everyone's opportunity to meet Jesus Christ. Father, move by your Holy Spirit across this audience and out into the audience that is beyond this sanctuary. Touch lives mightily and powerfully. Don't let a person get away from the conviction of your Holy Spirit. While we are in prayer here in the sanctuary, would you like to lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you include me in your prayer today? I need salvation. And listen, I'm not interested in what camp you're in, the good camp or the bad camp. It doesn't matter. We're all lost unless we come to Jesus. I just want you to know he loves you and he died for you and he can redeem you. And I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor Cole, my hand in the air says I need Jesus. Pray for me today. Would you do it right now? Just lift it up. Hold it there until I see it. Then you can put it back down. Thank you back there. Thank you here. Several hands right through here on my left-hand side. God bless you. And another, sir, on the aisle. Thank you. And over here to my right. How about on this? Yes, back over here. God bless you. Up into the balcony. Yes, way up there. Hands up there. God bless you. God bless you. Hands that are going up throughout the sanctuary. How many more? I want Jesus in my life. I want to trust Him as my Savior. I don't want to perish. I want to have everlasting life. Yes, thank you, sir. God bless you. God bless you right here, sir. God bless you. And over here, sir, thank you. God bless you. Oh, what a beautiful sight. Praise the Lord. Oh, friends, it's life and death. It's urgent. It's urgent. Friday night, I flew down to Los Angeles to be on the PTL program for TBN, the Praise the Lord program, and Laverne Tripp said to me, tell me, Pastor, what is the biggest problem you face in the church today? And I said, it's the disintegrating family. It's divorce. He said, do you think that's prophetic? I said, very much so. For the Bible says parents will hate the children, and children the parents, rebellion, disobedience, turning on the ones you're supposed to love the most. And then he said, do you believe the coming of Jesus is soon? I said, it's imminent. It's at the door. I almost felt like one of the Old Testament prophets when I said it. It's at the door. Imminent. That's why I have such passion in my voice today. I speak with such force because Jesus is coming and I don't want you to miss his coming. I want you to be saved. 
Is there another that would raise a hand, say by that hand, pray for me. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I want him. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. I'm glad I asked again. One more time, as I look across this audience, would you like to raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Jesus loves you. And you can be saved. Yes, thank you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. Lord Jesus, I cannot delay this appeal any longer. I lift this fellowship to you now. And all of these that raise their hands, who have said by that hand, I need Jesus, I want to be saved, come into their hearts right now. And may in a moment when we stand, may they have the courage to get into an aisle and slip down here to the front and say publicly, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to take him today and live for him always. And Father, I pray for Christians who have been trying to make the best of both worlds, not doing good at either. I pray, Lord, that you would touch people who have not been sold out to you. I pray that you will shake us out of our complacency. Stir us, O oh God, as American people, that we'll stop playing church and we'll start serving Jesus with our whole heart the one who died for us and deserves our praise. May we come all the way. Thank you, Jesus, for your patience and your mercy. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let us stand together as we sing, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. While we sing, I want those of you who have raised your hand to come from where you are. Will you step from where you were, raising your hand? Come down here. We want to give you some material. We want to pray with you personally. Take a moment to come. There will be somebody waiting for you as you come. Staff, if you'll come, please, quickly. People are going to come from the balcony in every corner. You come as we sing it right now.